You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Welcome to Mother's Day to all the mums out there online. If you're joining us, it's uh, awesome to have you. I have my mum here in the service tonight, the one and only Chris Nelson, Mama Nelson. Yes. So if there are any complaints, any issues, if you have anything that you are holding in resentment against me, please talk to her afterwards. She would love to hear about it and then forget about it because the damage is done. Uh, but no, seriously, she's, she is amazing and uh, I love it. It's, it's been cool today actually uh, thinking about Mother's Day and tonight we're going to talk about thankfulness. We're going to be talking about what it is to be thankful on Mother's Day. What does that mean for us as Christians? And I don't know about you, but I have a whole lot of stories of when I'm younger of times when my mum drilled things into me. I don't know if anyone's going to relate to this story. I feel like a bunch of people are. But when I was younger, whenever I went around to a friend's house, the process kind of followed a similar routine. First of all, I would get invited or I'd meet someone at school and we'd organize to hang out. Mum would confirm with the parents and then we would jump in the car and be driving to, let's call him Fred, Fred's house to hang out with because Fred's a good dude. We'd be driving to Fred's house and every time the conversation would be the same. For a while it'd be, okay, I'm going to pick you up at this time and Make sure, you know, you have a good time. Have fun. Oh, by the way, we've got church tomorrow. We've got this thing tomorrow. But then as we would turn into the street, we would have the same conversation every time. And this wasn't just the same conversation every time I went to a new friend's house. This was the same conversation for every friend every time. In fact, there would be days where I would go to the same friend's house maybe two or three times in a row, and I would get the exact same instruction. It would be this. Now, Ollie, yes, mum, did you remember? Did I remember what? Did you remember your manners? Yes, I remembered my manners. So you've got your thank you. Yes, I have my thank you. You've got your please. Yes, I have my please. And what will you call them? Mr. and Mrs. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter if they drilled into us that, hey, you know, just call me Sally. You know, it had to be Mrs. It had to be Mr. Actually, to the point where there were friends that I would stay with over long periods of time if my parents went to conferences or things, and it was so drilled into me that even after staying at their house for five days, I wouldn't enter the kitchen without saying, can I please have some food and thank you. But what I realized is that very quickly, this became a point of pride for our family. Mum would come home, dad would come home, and they would talk to us and be like, man, you kids are amazing. And whenever I talk, I know. <laughs> whenever I talk to people uh, about you, they're always like, oh, those Nelson boys, especially the youngest. <laughs> Not so much the middle, but the Nelson boys. Oh, they're so polite. They're so polite. They're so kind. They're so good with people. And it became something, and I, I'm not even like playing this up, but genuinely it became something that you know, us boys, as boys in our church and our school were known for, that there was this thankfulness, that there was this politeness, that there was the manners that accompanied us. And just like the Nelson boys, good job, Mama Nelson, well done. Just like the Nelson boys, as Christians throughout the biblical story, it paints a picture of things either by stating it literally or through the narrative of the scripture, and it paints a picture of things that we as Christians should be known for things that would help identify us to the world, 
Things that when they talked about us, when they talked about the family of faith, people would go, oh, that family of faith, oh, they are so dot, dot, dot. And one of the things that throughout the biblical story and throughout Scripture that is enforced to us is that we are to be people that are thankful, that we have a thankful spirit, that we live a thankful life, that the evidence that we are in the family of faith and obeying our Father, that we are in our family of faith and living by the code of our family is that we would be people that carry thankfulness. See, in this day and age, I, I realized that as a kid, although I got really good at saying thankful, uh, be, saying thank you, that the power of it kind of started to, to probably wane a little bit. So when you're a kid, you very, very quickly pick up, not, you know, maybe the meaning behind the word, but you pick up what the word does. So please stops being something that would help respect the person and becomes a magic word, <laughs> right? Like, seriously, it still works today with my parents, so. When we say please, it's like a magic word that gets me what I want. And thank you, instead of being something that would build the person up and, you know, posture my heart in the right way, thank you becomes the word that secures my next opportunity, right? (laughs) And so we begin to say please and thank you all the time. And what once had a significance behind it, not the word itself, but what it represents, can very quickly become something we just throw around. And when we lose the spirit of thankfulness, when we lose what it is to truly be thankful, what was once amazing becomes ordinary. Think about your first day of school. I remember my first day of school, Aberdeen Primary. My uh, niece is about to start going to that school this year, and some of my same teachers are still teaching there, which blows my mind, because they were about to die back then. So... (laughs) I'm so, if you're online, any of my teachers, Mrs. Fata, Mrs. Lomez, Mrs. Webby, I'm so sorry, but go you, all right? Like, remember the first day of school, like you're so excited, like you, you're so excited, you're so thankful that you finally reached five years old, I mean, you are growing up, and then it doesn't take long before it becomes ordinary and we become ungrateful, before the assignments are too much, before the classes are too boring, before... You know, the regulation and the routine is too monotonous. And very quickly, come on, we lose the sense of awe and wonder which wants this out. Maybe it's that new job that when you got that job that you're praying for, you go, God, I'm so thankful for this. But now that the pressure is coming on because they're paying you good money to do the work, it's like, oh my gosh, this thing sucks. Get me out. Maybe it's your church. When you first walked in here, like, oh my gosh, God, this is amazing. Man, the worship. Man, the encouraging teaching. And now the teaching is, it's not deep enough. Now the worship is, well, it's not the songs I like. When we lose a spirit of thankfulness, what was once amazing becomes ordinary and it loses its effectiveness. A lack of thanksgiving leads to a misplaced entitlement. Let me put it in perspective. You are entitled to certain things. When you become a member of my family, you are entitled to certain things that come with my family. When you become a member of the family of faith, the Bible says that you are entitled to certain things, that all of heaven is at your disposal. 
but it's the difference between all of heaven being at your disposal to bring glory to God and outlive and outwork your purpose or the entitlement of heaven coming, well, God, just give me what I want to be comfortable and be safe and, and what I need. And it stops being about what he's called us to do. I remember my brother, actually, I can't say that. I don't remember this. I don't remember this at all. I remember hearing about this because at this point I would have been maybe one or two or there is a good chance I was still just a swimmer, you know? Uh, So inappropriate. I love the 6 p.m. My brother, when he was younger, was at Christmas with my grandparents, my middle brother, and he was at Christmas with my nana and papa, and they gave out all the presents. And my parents tell this story about all the presents. They're saying, thank you. He's saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then the presents stopped. So he said, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And the presents still didn't come. And he turned, turned to my nana and papa and he just said, is that it? <laughs> come on, that is a spirit that knows how to say the right thing. I'm not saying my brother's got a bad spirit, brother. That is, but that is saying the right thing without understanding, come on, what it really means. Romans 1.21 says this on the screen. It says, for although they knew God, talking about the people that had come before in human history, the Israelites, the, those who had been before, although they knew God, they neither, neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks, uh, but their thinking, be- sorry, never glorified, but did not give them thanks, and their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Come on, you can know God and lose what it is to be thankful for him. Come on, you can know the presence of God and lose what it is to be thankful for it. And Romans 1, which is a letter to the church in Roman, talks and, and is a warning to that church saying, hey, don't become like these people who experienced God, who knew him, that maybe even had a relationship with him. But because they lost a thankful spirit, come on, they were darkened, their perspective was changed. They lost out because they didn't understand thankfulness. Thankfulness keeps us focused. In the Bible, there's kind of like three things that are always joined together when it talks about us moving forward in our relationship with God, when it talks about us moving forward in our court. First one is prayer. The second one is praise, or better word would be rejoicing. We kind of throw praise in the English language around a bit, but praise. And the last one is thanksgiving. And Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, Rejoice always and delight in your faith. Come on, praise. Come on, rejoice in who God is just because he's God. Be unceasing and persistent in your prayer. And in every situation, no matter what the circumstance, be thankful and continuously give thanks to God for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Three things, prayer, Praise or, better translated to rejoicing of who God is, and thanksgiving. So what does it mean to have thanksgiving? What does thanksgiving look like? If it's more than just a word, what does it look like? I want to talk about the Old Testament for a second. See, before I go there... I'm not doing this to sound smart, although I'm hoping it does. You, you know, whenever someone, you know, speaks Greek or Hebrew, you're kind of hoping it's like, man, that guy, man, really studies. But I want to give some context here of, of what it is to be thankful. And I want to use it by looking at the Hebrew word for thankfulness. And the reason I want to do this, and it was explained to me a few years ago, and if you're a new Christian or maybe you're new in your study of the Bible, let me kind of give some context. This is how it was explained to me. When you just open your Bible and start reading, it's kind of like 
watching a black and white movie with no sound. You'll get the basic scenario. You'll get the kind of basic theme. You may even understand, come on, who's who in the zoo and what they're trying to get at, but you're going to miss out a whole lot. When you read the Bible in context, meaning that you don't just flip and turn, but you understand what's going on in society of the day, what is the city that they're talking to, what has happened a few chapters before, it's like watching a movie now in color with speaking. All of a sudden, you understand where people fit. All of a sudden, you understand the tone that's coming through and why the tone is being used. When you look at the Bible with the context of the original words, Hebrew and Greek, it's like watching a movie in full HD 3D. Now you have a depth to the situation. Now you understand what's happening in and around and where people sit and stand and why things are happening. And so tonight I want to look at this word really quickly, not to kind of go too far like weird, but just to kind of give us some depth. In the Old Testament, there's no actual specific word for thankfulness. There's no certain word that kind of describes. In the English language, we, we place words on things and kind of just use it as a blanket over a whole lot of things. In Hebrew, there wasn't that same way of talking. In fact, there were seven words that mainly described praise and thankfulness. The main word that was used was the word yada or yador. Turn to the person next to you if you want, just say yador, and all of a sudden we can all speak Hebrew. Congratulations. The word yador, yador. And yador is kind of a, a picture of what it is to be thankful. The first thing you'll notice about the word yador is it's not a noun. It's not naming something. It's not trying to give a title to something. It's not an adjective. It's, it's not describing something. It's not trying to paint a picture. Yador, the word for thanksgiving in the Old Testament, is a verb. It is a doing word. It is an action. And therefore, for us today, it is an instruction on how to be thankful. So I want to look at three ways that we are thankful based on this word, yador. First one is this. True thankfulness carries the cost of intention. When you look at the meaning of the word yador and you look at the verb behind it, the, the action behind it, the first thing you'll notice is it is not something that just happens, that there is intention behind it, that it's not something that just takes place, but it's something that the person, user, or person who is being thankful goes out of their way to make a point about. In fact, in the Old Testament, when people would bring one of the old offerings, there was obviously the sin, the guilt offerings, but then there was specific thanksgiving offerings. Come on, it wasn't a flippant thing that we just kind of threw around, but it was something that had to be prepared. It was something that had to be thought about. It was something that had to be measured, and then it had to be brought with you to a temple to make, come on, that thanksgiving sacrifice. We so easily today throw around the word thanks like it's a get-out-of-jail-free card when someone helps us. There's no intention required, but we're able just to turn up. It's why that's so easy just to kind of turn up halfway through praise and worship because we haven't had the intention to go, actually, I'm coming with a heart of thanksgiving. That's why it's so easy. And, and if you know me, and I'm not preaching at anyone, so I'm preaching to myself. If you know me, I hate birthday presents. Not receiving them, love that. <laughs> I hate giving birthday presents. My mom will testify to this. It terrifies me. There is very little in this world that makes, gives me more anxiety than buying someone a birthday present. I would rather do this all day, every day, than have to buy you a present. It terrifies me. If you ever get a present from me, you're like, whoa, okay. That, but there's an intention 
behind it. It takes effort to really show someone that you're thankful. The first thing is thankfulness carries the cost of intentionality. Second thing is, is it carries the cost of vulnerability. True thankfulness carries a cost of vulnerability. Yada, if it's translated correctly, the most direct translation would actually be someone raising their hands in surrender. So raising your hands in worship is not a new thing. It's not something the Pentecostal church invented. But throughout human history, it has been a sign of thankfulness. It has been a sign of surrender. Why? Because it is vulnerable. It is a vulnerable position. And one of the reasons that we struggle to give genuine thanks, not throw away, but genuine thanks to people, is when we thank someone, it's a vulnerable moment. What if they reject it? What if they say no to it? What if they blow it off? In the same way, we're terrible at receiving thanks because receiving thanks is a vulnerable thing. But if we're going to learn how to be thankful people, if you're going to have a thankful spirit and be able to live out exactly what God calls wants you to live out, then it requires you being prepared to be vulnerable. Third thing is this, and the last one is this. It carries a sound. It carries a sound. Thankfulness carries a sound. Silent thankfulness, not meaning that you can't give a card without saying words. I'm saying internal kept to yourself thankfulness is just good intention. And good intention will appease you because you'll justify it. But it won't change you. True thankfulness carries a sound. And yada, if you were to translate it, speaks about the crying out and professing to God. Thanks and joy and gratitude. You cannot be thankful in silence. It's amazing. We come into church sometimes and we're not intentional. We get here late. We're not prepared. We haven't thought about it. I'm not saying again, I'm putting it anywhere. I'm talking about me. We don't want to get vulnerable. Don't ask me to get out of my seat. Don't ask me to lift my hands. And clapping? Come on, lifting a shout of praise? That's terrifying. See, these things aren't things that some of us struggle with. These are things that all of us struggle with because there is a price to praise and there is a cost to thankfulness, the cost of being intentional, the cost of, come on, making a noise and having a sound and the cost of being vulnerable. So three areas, I want to finish off with this, three areas that we need to be thankful in if we're going to be able to do this and start activating this. First of all is be thankful after. Be thankful after. We move on so quick. We move on so quick these days. We move on from miracles. We move on from camps. We move on from conferences and miracles and things that God is doing so, so fast. So the Israelite people had this tradition that after they, and we see it all through scripture, when they crossed the Jordan into the promised land, and that they would have a significant moment where God does something for them, where he comes through for them, where something takes place and God is seen in it. And one of the first things they'll do before they move on is they'll build an altar, Now, the altar itself is not a statue of a man. It has no face. The altar itself really means nothing. It's there to represent what God did. And what would happen is that then for generations and generations, whenever someone passed that place, they would stop and worship and thank God. Not worshiping the altar, but worshiping the God who the altar represents. We need to be people that put up altars in our life that take the time to stop after something happens and thank God. Pastor Scott has the saying that I heard him say years ago, and it stuck with me, is that faith is built by looking back. 
Come on, if you're in a situation right now where you, you don't have enough faith for the future, can I encourage you? Take some time, step out from the full-onness of your life and your world, and just take some time to look back at God's goodness. We had uh, a young adult retreat this year, and it was incredible. It was amazing. And uh, I told you I'd get a plug in there. Uh, it was, if you weren't there, you missed out big time. God did incredible things. And I realized that 24 hours after being back, I had almost forgotten about retreat, and I was full into my next thing. I was full into making Sunday happening. I was starting to think about life conference, and I, and I moved on too quick. And it wasn't for a few days until I realized that I had to stop and just write some things down. Come on, I had to put something in my life that would be an altar. Second thing is this, is thankfulness during. Be thankful during. It's amazing that throughout Scripture, some of the psalmists, when talking about lamenting and asking God for breakthrough and needing things to come through in their life, would finish off this prayer of needing God and needing Him to come through in my darkest moment, and they'd finish with thankfulness. Psalm 7 verse 17 says this, says, I will give thanks to the Lord because He is righteous. I will sing the praise of the name of the Lord of the Most High. Can I tell you, the scripture before that didn't sound like that. The verse before that didn't sound thankful. Come on, it was the hard times. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your hard time is, but thank God in the middle of it. Philippians 4 says this. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer, supplication, and with thanksgiving, present your need before God. In the middle of your need, in the middle of when you're at your darkest moment, don't wait to thank God afterwards. Thank Him through it. I mean, when I was younger, my, my dad, I'm going to finish up in a minute, but my dad uh, was diagnosed with MS. And my dad's an incredible man. He's an amazing father. And he was diagnosed with MS. And for most of my childhood, a lot of my child was either in a walking stick or in a wheelchair. In fact, there were large portions there where he couldn't move his arms. And I remember times where he even lost the ability to control his voice. And I remember this moment so clearly. It was a Sunday night. And uh, it was, it, we were in Pentecostal worshiping, and he was at one of those moments where he didn't have much function, couldn't speak much, and I was young, maybe seven, eight, I, I don't quite remember. And I remember looking across the front row and seeing both my parents, arms lifted, come on, worshiping, thanking God, in the middle of an opportunity to be chained to what was going on around him, to focus on the fight that he had in front of him. Come on, there's a chance to be grateful. When you're grateful in your challenge, it lifts your eyes from the earthly surroundings and points you towards heaven. The last one is this, be thankful before. Psalm 100 says this, enter his courts, his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Give thanks before, before you need him, before you need the breakthrough, before the times are good. Be thankful be thankful for who he is. Be thankful for what he's done. Thankfulness before postures my heart towards heaven. Thankfulness before the fact postures my heart towards heaven. I don't know what you're believing for. I don't know what your next season looks like. But if you can get thankful beforehand, come on, you start speaking in the prophetic, not in the natural. It takes you out of the linear stage of time where you're at the beginning hoping that God's going to come through and it lets you speak from an eternal point of view that says, I've already done what you need me to do. I've already brought the breakthrough that you're going to need to have. Be thankful before. Thankfulness restores us. Billy Graham says this. He says, nothing turns us into bitter, selfish, dissatisfied people more quickly than an ungrateful heart. And nothing will do more to restore the contentment and joy of our salvation 
than a true spirit of thankfulness. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.